Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Narrated by Sir David Attenborough, Netflix's eight-part nature documentary series, Our Planet, explores our natural world and includes an urgent call to action to address climate change. It's made by the creators of the award-winning BBC series, Planet Earth, in partnership with World Wildlife Fund. The four-year project has been filmed in 50 countries across every continent in areas including remote Arctic wilderness, deep oceans, and dense jungles. It represents an estimated 3,500 filming days, according to Netflix. To create the score for the ambitious production, its creators turned to Steve Price, the Oscar-winning composer of Alfonso Cuarón's Gravity, who brings his musical talent and storytelling prowess to the project. He joins us today in a new podcast episode. I'm Carolyn Giardino. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. They live in every ocean traveling the high seas from their polar feeding grounds to the tropics where they breed. Yet whales have not always enjoyed such freedom. Once there were more than 100,000 humpbacks in the oceans, but last century they were hunted to near extinction. British composer Steve Price is perhaps best known for his Oscar-winning score for Gravity, but his range is evident in his credits, which span features, TV series, and documentaries, including World War II drama Fury, DC Comics-based Suicide Squad, as well as David Attenborough's documentary The Hunt. Before his debut as a composer, he worked in the music department on films including The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Batman Begins, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Welcome, Steve, and thank you for joining us. That's my pleasure. So your career has spanned features and television and documentary work. What was it about this particular project that attracted you? Really, it was when I was called to Bristol, where the filmmakers are based, a good couple of years ago. And I knew they were doing a show, but they hadn't told me really what it was about. And I knew it was big because they'd been telling me they had film crews across the world for years beforehand. And they sat me down in the little theatre and they showed me these bits of footage that they got, not edited yet, but these incredibly powerful things. I saw the glaciers melting. I saw little bits of the war sequence, which we have in our show. And they kind of told me what the approach was and that this was the first time a natural history show had really gone into the conservation issue and the state of the planet and how it was really their attempt at, you know, having a conversation, starting a conversation. And they were working with the World Wildlife Fund and David Attenborough was on board and felt it was a, a really important moment to do it. So, yeah, they asked me to do the music and it was just an honour. 
And you've worked with David Attenborough before. Yeah, I did a previous series with the whole gang. So I did a show for the BBC back in 2015 called The Hunt. And that was fun. And it was the first time I'd done this sort of work. And I really, really enjoyed working with the people. And I think they're, they're really good filmmakers. And they obviously get incredible footage. But the way they tell their stories as well makes it great fun for a, a musician and obviously inspiring images. Yeah. The message about climate change is so critical right now. Do you have any sense of how it's been received as far as calls to action? I think that's what we're all hoping is happening and the conversation's certainly starting and you know you can feel sort of over social media and things like that and certainly in the, the extended media there's a lot of talk about it and you know it's crucial the WWF spokesman Colin has a well he's the, the boss of the WWF has a wonderful line that we are the first generation to really know about this but we are the last generation you can do anything about it right and talking to all the filmmakers and the people who've been out there in the field for years on end they've seen this happen you know they go back to the arctic they see that there's much less ice these things that have been there forever and should never have melted things are starting to happen so the more time i spent with the filmmakers kind of the scarier it got you know in the show we honestly put across the the point that there are ways to help this and that's the hope that the show doesn't leave everyone despondent but it actually is encouraging people to act encouraging people to hopefully make a difference on an individual level just 50 years ago we finally ventured to the moon. For the very first time, we looked back at our own planet. Since then, the human population has more than doubled. This series will celebrate the natural wonders that remain and reveal what we must preserve to ensure people and nature thrive. Now, for your part, there are 155 cues there are, yes. over the eight episodes, and each sequence seems to have its own unique music for the animal. Would you talk a little bit about your approach? Yeah, one of the things I was really determined to do with all the films was just be very honest to every single thing I saw. Every bit of music is bespoke. It wasn't a case of you know writing long bits of music and then applying them to the picture. Every single sequence I started off watching it and kind of the picture would tell me what it would do. If it was a certain sort of creature, they would move in a certain way, which would start me off musically, and I kind of the, the sequence would develop from there. Within that, there are also sort of overarching themes. We always wanted the show to feel like it was an Our Planet thing. No matter what episode you were watching, always had to feel kind of the same thing. But each of the different episodes is based in a different biome, and um, they all kind of sound different. The colours they have are different. You know, I'm working with glacial kind of whites and massive sort of expansive areas in the Arctic, and then very intimate behaviour in the jungles, which is obviously a noisier place. So the thing for me was to be really sort of emotionally true to every single sequence try and pull it together as a film they're all brilliantly structured so that the films themselves open out into the message that they were being given so it was a really satisfying challenge you know just to give every creature its voice and hopefully the planet its voice too where was the score recorded it was all done in england and i would work in my studio doing all the writing and 
some of the pre-record things so there's a lot of percussion a lot of guitars quite a lot of voice in the show and then we would do one very very busy day per episode at Abbey Road in London with the Philharmonia Orchestra and we'd record the whole thing in a lot of hours and um, they were amazing days you know it was everyone of the orchestra got very excited by the project we put a screen up behind the conductor they could see what they were playing to they knew the approach and what the angle of the show was and looking at conservation so yeah it felt like a big old family by the end well we're going to talk about some of the individual sequences and show really what a variety of music you have in this piece so tell us about the blue mannequins dance which almost sounded like carousel music and the incredible sort of routine there's a sequence i think it's in the first show called one planet and there's a sequence of birds who actually they rehearse their routine they're going to do to impress the lady and one of the boys sits in the place of the lady and the, the other ones practice this routine they're going to do and then they perform it for her. and this incredible routine where they all kind of shuffle along a branch and then one of them flies over the top and lands at the other side and this kind of rotation this feel of them sort of performing this circular dance just led me away into this like you say kind of a carousel sort of thing and it keeps getting sort of faster and, and more ridiculous as they get kind of more carried away it was like one of my favorite sequences and there's a great moment at the end of it when they all kind of stare at her and kind of you know has it worked so it's yes and so David Attenborough did the best narration over that the most complex routine is that developed by the blue mannequin the lead male is supported by three junior dancers. With the lead male happy, they're ready to present their dance to a female. In a carousel of movements, each male takes his turn at the front. In the jungle episode, there's a sequence with birds of paradise. And one is also trying to impress a female with uh, head bobs and a little dance. Tell us about that music. <laughs> that was one of those sequences that when you first saw it, you were both incredibly excited that you're going to score it and also terrified because the movements he was doing were so funny, you didn't want to break it. So I spent ages. That probably took as much time as the rest of that episode put together, just getting every single little gesture, all the little pauses where he's kind of just building up to the next little move. And that was one where the orchestra just seemed to throw themselves at it. We had this kind of classical orchestra, but basically wrote a sort of, you know, jazzy kind of Cuban-esque sort of piece and that the trumpet player in particular kind of threw himself into that and all these little flourishes he was doing as this bird revealed ever more ridiculous kind of gestures. So there, that was one of our nice fun ones. So far, so good. He has all the moves. Fancy footwork. The whirling dervish. Head poo shuffle with spin. Her erect head feathers and quivering wings are a very encouraging sign. His sidestep and head bob look good from any angle. 
but his crowning glory can only be appreciated from her perspective. The sequence where we see wildebeest calves is very playful. What instruments did you rely on and what drove that score? The thing about that one was there's a lovely little bit of movement they captured where I think the thing is days old, you know, it's just leaping around and it's like a really sort of springy sort of movement and that sort of started me playing, I wrote most of that on a guitar and it just felt like it was a very plucky sort of bright sounding thing and as he ran around I tried to pick out as much of the movement and one of the great things about working on these shows is that no one's shy about sort of really playing the picture, you know, and my producer Alistair Fothergill is very keen there to let the music really paint what's on the screen and that was one of the examples where the movement was so sort of fun that you just wanted to find a way to kind of capture that. This youngster is just a few days old. Playing strengthens its legs for the long journey that lies ahead. Obviously, then the sequence develops into to something else entirely as some people try and catch our little friend of the calf and it becomes quite a journey in his life and the first time he, he finds his pace and runs away. So it's one of those sequences where you got to know him, you got to see the danger, but then, you know, luckily he found the pace that he needed. Throughout, there are a lot of action sequences, if you will, and these have a very cinematic score. Would you share how you approach those? Yeah, the thing that I found so amazing working on this was that the cinematography and the way they edited it was really as exciting as any kind of action feature film that you'd ever seen. And I really wanted to make sure that the music kind of stood up to that. So some of the really fun cues to write were some of these massive spectacles where you have, you know, a succession of, of bigger creatures suddenly arriving on the scene. There's a couple of ones in the first episode where, you know, the orchestra were really sort of flying and that we definitely wanted it to feel kind of bold and, and cinematic. The images are so widescreen so detailed that the music really had to support that and hopefully carry across some of that excitement of what's going on. Did you have a favourite sequence? Oh, I've got lots of little things that I kind of... Um, there's, there's a sequence in, I think, the Coastal Seas episode. These birds are dive-bombing in and gradually we sort of see more and more and it becomes quite an anthemic thing. It starts off very, very action-packed and by the end of it, you're just this incredible spectacle of life, basically, and the kinetic energy of it all. And we ended up slowing the piece down and sort of... I got a vocal on there from a wonderful singer called Lisa Hannigan that just kind of made the thing, you know, feel as beautiful a spectacle and kind of a celebration of life as much as it is a kind of predation sequence. strike from heights of 20 meters. They hit the water at 100 kilometers an hour.
would you talk about the music on the high seas with whales and other such animals? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but there's something about writing for the water episodes that I really, really enjoyed. It felt there were three. There's a freshwater episode where, you know, we see the passage of water through the world and then a high seas episode, which has got these incredibly sort of huge spectacles. We see one of my favorite sequences in the whole show is a, a blue whale sequence where we see the calf emerge from beneath her and it's kind of a five and a half minute sequence of the most beautiful kind of emergence into life you can imagine and you don't get opportunities to write like that in many things it was a I could write a, a very sort of slow moving hopefully emotional piece it develops into a sort of choral thing towards the end and it just felt like a real sort of celebration you know the whales were always good to write for in terms of the power and the size of them and there's there's moments in the those scores where we got to be really quite expansive the, a choir came in the voices seemed to really work with the sea setting and um, yeah it was a lot of fun to write and then then when we came back to the coastal seas episode which is a lot more kind of intimate behavior we kind of returned to the world of the voice for that because it felt like it belonged but went for solo voices and much more intimate and some of the emotional sequences of things like the coral sort of bleaching and those sequences they feel linked to the, the open ocean but in a more intimate way what instruments did you rely on most heavily in that episode? In the Coastal Seas episode. The Coastal Seas is very sort of vocal orientated. There's a lot of, of Lisa Hannigan in there with creatures such as uh, dolphins. And you know, so there's some amazing behavior with dolphins kind of making these mud circles and the fish leap out and they all have to learn how to do this this thing as part of their growing up. It kind of always felt like there was a spirit there that some more folky influences came into that episode. There's a sort of more celtic thing going on in some places. Some guitar stuff there. There's some great fiddle playing, you know. So we got one of the orchestral players to unleash a sort of inner folk side for that. So yeah, they, all the episodes invited a different sort of music. The music is also mixed with the sounds of the environment. Would you talk about how that all came together? Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating process, the sound design for this. It's like a unique job, and there's a company in Bristol that do amazing work called Wounded Buffalo, and they did the sound for the whole series. And often when I got the picture to work with, there would be kind of guide tracks that they and the editors would put together, and I would kind of try as much as I could to weave the music around. And, you know, if we're in a coastal sequence and we know the waves are going to be crashing, you know, there's going to be a big row if I'm doing the same thing. So I always try and work around that. But there's a lot of collaboration between the two, and... In some cases, I could get examples of sound effects they'd recorded in the field, such as ice cracking, and I might start incorporating that into the score. You know, there's a cue in the Arctic episode where what sounds like low, sort of sinister drum beats are kind of actually a processed version of that, an ice crack, you know, which is an incredibly deep, dark sound, but somehow felt like it belonged. And the collaboration was really positive. There's sequences where we kind of worked to do something a little different. There's a, a sequence at the end of the first episode where we see this ice carving in Greenland where kind of 75 tonnes of ice crashes into the ocean. And it's a, it's a quite an extensive sequence and a really sort of powerful one. Very. And, but obviously that's a huge, violent sort of sound. You know, it's the crashing waves. And really when I watch that, it's like all I do really at first when that starts happening is I keep present but keep out the way. But after a couple of minutes of that, it felt like we were missing a trick. And I worked with the sound people to gradually dissolve the real sound away and you kind of feel this sense of absence and you feel this silence developing and then I wrote probably the most intimate piece in the entire series just a piano and a solo violin and we kind of did this lament for something that really shouldn't be happening as often as it should be right. and then Sir David hears that and his delivery became a very quiet intimate thing and that's probably one of the sequences I'm most proud of just because it took a massive spectacle but made it kind of personal years, 
Greenland has been losing ice. Within 20 minutes, 75 million tons of ice break free. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're from the UK and you studied music at Cambridge University. How did your career begin? I've kind of basically never done anything apart from music. So it was always this kind of assumption that I'd be able to find a way to make a living from it. And I feel incredibly lucky that that happened because I didn't really come into it with much of a plan. I kind of did music all through school, obviously at college, continued all of that. And then when I moved to London, as we all did after going to college, I worked at a recording studio. I I kind of, um, in my head, I always had this dream of being, you know, a George Martin type figure, you know, and the one who did all the arrangements and the production for some great band. 18 months of that, and I realised that you don't necessarily get to work with the Beatles and you, you know, work with an awful lot of drunk bands who argue a lot. I was reaching the point where I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had this weird sort of Hollywood moment where I was walking through London sort of despondent one day and picked up a copy of a music magazine that had on the back an advert for a film composer who was looking for an assistant. And it listed all these things that I'd kind of done, you know, all this musical education stuff, but also the computer side of things that was coming in then. And I ended up working for a chap called Trevor Jones. And the first day I go to his studio, not really knowing anything about, about what I was doing, he put me in a room with the equipment and kind of told me to play. And I remember just doing a little melody and moving the melody across the image, you know, and just there was, depending on where I changed the note in relation to the the way a character kind of blinked and the way her face moved, the emotion of the scene changed. And it kind of just all made sense. All I'd ever done as a kid was write stories and do music. And that's my job now. You know, we just tell stories and we use music to do it and we hopefully support filmmakers who are telling great stories. What's on your plate next? Yeah, there's a few things going on. I've started work on Edgar Wright's next film, which is a long, long way hence, but we're doing some playing with that at the moment to get a few ideas that they might play out on set. And that's a a film called Last Night in Soho, which we're all kind of excited about. It's like a very different thing for all of us. I've worked with Edgar for a number of years, so it's always exciting when he's got a new one because it's always something totally different to what you've done before and makes uh, a lot of challenges. And a film uh, I'm working on in the UK and we record very soon called The Aeronauts, which uh, is directed by Tom Harper, who's brilliant, and Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones up in hot air balloons in the Victorian age, sort of working out how weather works, you know, and it's a, a really exciting but really lovely and emotional film. So, And that, again, has been a totally different to anything I've done. You know, I'm working with weird little ensembles and strange combinations of things that I've never found before. So a lot of experimentation and we're, we're getting to the stage where, you know, we get to polish it up. So it's going to be a fun few weeks. How is your approach different for our planet or a documentary compared to, say, a motion picture? This one had a lot of very different challenges. I mean, the scale of the thing was the first thing that was the real challenge. You know, we were trying to do 
basically eight hours of television that all felt interesting. It all felt, every episode should stand alone, but it should also feel part of the same family. And that was something that got me scratching my head at the start to find themes that I could use in lots of different ways, themes that could feel melancholy in places, but triumphant in others, and hopefully always kind of coming back to this core message of the show. In terms of the actual writing, scene by scene, my whole process is always about trying to make things that totally bond with the picture and feel like they could only belong to that picture. And if anything, that the variety of this show and the amount of places we visit, the amount of creatures that we visit, I mean, there are sequences in there that feel almost like horror film moments, you know, when a strange parasite takes over some ants and you, you see this kind of incredible thing, but then you've got these sweet, beautiful moments of real intimacy. So the real challenge on this one was giving that consistent voice whilst really feeling you were being true to every single sequence. And because it was such a significant sort of amount of things, one of the great challenges as well was the speed we worked at. I was recording a film pretty much in terms of quantity, a, a feature film score every month, you know, which at the start felt really scary. But when you got into it, it was the most satisfying kind of thing. And you, the adrenaline of it was incredible. You'd be writing something one week knowing that you were going to record it and knowing that you were going to play it to the directors and you were going to listen to their notes and they were great with their notes and such sort of really helpful stuff for the arcs of these stories that they've been putting together for four or five years. So it, was, it just became this, I'll always look back on it as one of the projects that I'm really proud of it. It felt like everyone was very, very passionate about it. Everyone was very into the cause. I've worked with some brilliant people on this and I'm very lucky to have been involved. You had some very humorous moments like with the Birds of Paradise, but there's also so much sadness because of the impact that the environmental changes are having on you know various animals how did you balance that luckily for me the filmmakers the way that they structured their films you know they made it possible for me to be honest to each sequence and if it was sad then i went for sad you know it's like there's on, on something like this i really hope that we've made a couple of people cry along the way you know i think that the stories deserve it but there was always a hope when we were doing the series that we don't want to leave people in a despondent state you know there's a lot of optimism there and there are a lot of things that can be done there's a whole extended thing to this project the ourplanet.com website where you can go after seeing the shows and it tells you the things that we can all do you know and it actually discusses solutions and certainly within the music of the main show there's optimism there you know we don't want to leave any of the episodes on a down note you know there is this note of that we can change it i mean one of my favorite sequences in the whole show is the chernobyl sequence which is at the very very end of the very last show right and really the story of that is that nature wants to recover you've got this place which is totally uninhabitable you know as no one can go back for years they had to drop these camera traps in no cameraman could ever be there but you see that nature has taken over you know it's full of life now there you see first of all the, the trees you then you realize that it's a huge forest then you see these animals and families of animals and generations of animals that live in there and the music for that is the main theme of our planet sung by the most pure sound i could think of which is a solo choir boy and to me, it just feels like they're the most hopeful piece. And that's why we put that at the very end of the last show. It's hopefully we send viewers away. Hopefully people enjoy the spectacle, enjoy the entertainment, but they can go away with this feeling that, you know, it's not too late and we can help. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.